The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Ben Levison, Deputy Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about the week ahead in stocks. As you can tell, I'm losing my voice. It started going out around mid-morning today, but I'm going to do the best I can to get through this call. Now, the S&P 500 just had its first drop after four weeks of gains last week, and investors are looking ahead to Jerome Powell's appearance at Jackson Hole on Friday. Until then, we'll have earnings from retailers like Macy's and Gap and tech stocks like NVIDIA and Zoom. And Barron's senior writer, Alan Root, is joining me to discuss all this and more. Welcome, Al. How's your Monday? Uh, my Monday is good. Good to talk to you, Ben. I think I am the last person standing that either doesn't have a summer cold or is not on vacation. So everybody's stuck with me. We are stuck with you, Al, and uh, I think our audience is better off for it. Now, when I look at this market, um, everything was going so great. And then it seemed as if Friday, everyone said, oh, wait, we have Jackson Hole coming up in a week. The market dropped then is dropping even more now. Why is Jackson Hole such a big focus right now? Can you explain to the audience what it is and why it's in focus? Uh, oh, you put me on the spot with Jackson Hole. I think it's in Wyoming, right? I believe it's in Wyoming. I believe it it's is. a very nice uh, retreat where central bankers get together and they talk. Um, uh, when you get together, it's nice to go to good resorts uh, versus going to uh, not so nice resorts. So they get together in Jackson Hole. Jerome Powell, Federal Reserve Chair, will speak on Friday. And listen, I mean, the narrative you know, markets are driven by narratives or, you know, what, you know, maybe people can only hold one or two things in their head at, at one time. And, you know, top of the mind for all investors is the direction of interest rates, uh, how fast they're going to raise interest rates. If raising interest rates will throw us into recession, um, uh, how, how long will they raise interest rates? So, you know, the market is interest rates, interest rates, interest rates. So, you know, when we get to Friday and he talks, you know, we'll, we'll be parsing every adverb, comma, and uh, audible pause to, to get a sense of what he is feeling about inflation, what the Fed is feeling about inflation. Um, and that will go a long way to determining, you know, the short term direction of the stock market. You know, I, I was reading a note from uh, uh, a strategist today, Steve Englander. And, you know, he he thinks that uh, Chairman Powell will sort of reiterate his his commitment to fighting inflation on Friday. You know, that might be taken as a, a hawkish stance, but then, you know, it'll depend on what happens with the market between now and now and Friday to see if 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 the market will be relieved or react with uh, with more of this risk off mentality. Could you see this being it's, a it's just the Fed is in control these days. Could you see this being a sell sell on the news or in this case, a buy on the news uh, kind of reaction if we get a sell off into Friday and then Powell speaks and yes, he's hawkish, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, he's hawkish, but the market's already priced it in. 
Yeah. I mean, I think a couple of things. So, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's sort of the easy thing to say. And I agree with you. If we sell off this week, right? So we dropped last week. If we drop into Friday, that sets up for, for uh, you know, um, a relief rally almost no matter what he says. One of those times where, you know, if he's hawkish, we'll take that as good news. And if he's less hawkish than we thought, we'll take that as good news. So, you know, if you look at the Fed funds expectations, people expect, you know, the average of everybody's estimate is the, the Fed funds rate will hit like 3.75% by early 23. Uh, we're at two and a half percent now. So that means, you know, we got three or four more hikes coming. We've already had four hikes. So what is my point? You know, we're halfway through this raising cycle. So, you know, anything that happens, you know, to either alter that in terms of the number or speed of rate hikes, um, you know, could be potentially, you know, will be positive, could be potentially positive, right? So if he says, well, I don't think we need to do any more 75s, maybe a couple of 50s. Uh, oh, you know, we're looking at inflation rolling over in August. You know, these would be very you know, dovish type statements, and, and that would be a potential catalyst. But I think if we if we just continue to sell off, uh, like today's fairly brutal, and Friday was no fun either. So if we're looking at a second straight week of declines, I think I think uh, people will basically this will all have been positioning ahead of that meeting, and then and you get a little relief buying on Friday. I mean, what I, what I find interesting is that you know it, it was hard to find a bear up until last week and then you get um you know this this bad week last week you get this monday now the bears are out and out in droves i'm reading notes about uh you know david rosenberg you know saying that you know the david rosenberg things i'm seeing other people saying that look don't don't buy into this um this head fake bull market that you know it's run it's this it's run its course now um and and so i'm just wondering who do you think is winning the bulls or the bears you know, it's funny you say that. And and you understand this just about as well as anyone I've ever met, right? You know, sort of the difference between traders and investors, right? So we had a lot of momentum. We were rallying, oh gosh, you know, off June slash July lows. And we had this really nice six-week period in the market. And we all felt better about it. But, you know, some of the momentum was fading. So, you know, when momentum fades, you know, traders don't care, right? Traders don't necessarily you know, say, oh, well, you know, this fundamental data point. No, they're not focused on fundamental data points. You know, so you, you, you know, they do, you know, I appreciate what you said, like traders or some of these, the, the sentiment indicators or, or strategists turn on a dime. But, you know, I, I think that's almost, you know, in their, in their DNA, right? Like we've had, you know, some sell signals, call it, you know, moving averages, converging, diverging, all of these things that traders will look at and the momentum was fading. And so you get a couple of bad days and they basically all say hit the sell button. And, and that's sort of what's going on. And I think in this market these days, we're used to sort of violent reactions either way. So when momentum returned, they, we piled in like nobody's business. And now that momentum uh, in the indexes are fading, uh, everybody's basically selling uh, as fast as they can. You know, who's winning, right? So. It was funny because, you know, and it, all of these negative indicators, right? There's the um, American Association of Institutional Investors. I think that's what it is. It's the AAII, if you Google that. Uh, and they ask people, I think every week, you know, uh, you know, are you feeling bullish, bearish, or neutral about the stock market? The, the bullish line, you know, I call it a coincident indicator, but the bullish line, like you say, was going straight up uh, from under 20% to about 35% over the past few weeks. 
Now, 35% bulls might not sound like a lot, but that's that's pretty typical because, you know, a third are bulls, a third are bears, a third are neutral. That's sort of it's the sort of not a bad thing. And then when everybody's bearish, that's a good time to buy. When everybody's bullish, that's a bad time to buy. So everybody got really bullish. And so, yeah, now now it's time. Now it's the bears time to shine. So you had a couple of things, I would say, that that freaked people out. And then so, yeah, that turn happens on a dime. Yeah, and I think one of the things that has to be worrying people is that this rally was led by you know, these high beta stocks, these volatile stocks. Some people call them junk stocks. Um, they performed yeah. really well since June. Um, we, we had this brief revival of the meme trade with uh, Bed Bath & Beyond soaring. Um, and, and, and it seems like all this speculative activity, this froth that looked like it had been wrung out of the market had gone away. But you wrote a story that argued that uh, speculation might not be as high as it seems. Can you explain? Yeah. So it was really interesting. You know, Nick, Nick Colas, actually former auto analyst. So I, I have a great affinity for Nick because uh, I cover a lot of the cars at data track. Right. He came up with this speculative gauge and it was Tesla versus Apple. So Tesla, uh, what, what are the facts about Tesla? It is a uh, it's a very retail oriented stock. It has a very high percentage of its shares held by retail investors, especially relative to other big stocks. Uh, it's very much driven by one key man, and that's Elon Musk. Um, and so when when that stock is going up, uh, you know, Nick says that's a good gauge on speculative fervor. Now, of course, you got to compare that to everything else. So we took a look at Apple and basically he said, you know, when when Apple is underperforming, or I should suppose it's easier to say in the other way, when Tesla outperforms um, Apple by, we'll call it roughly 15 percentage points over a 50-day period, that's a signal that speculative fervor has reached basically peak levels. It's not a perfect indicator, right? Because, you know, earnings are in there. Maybe Apple disappoints, maybe Tesla does great. However, it's a really interesting way to do it. And through this rally, Tesla hasn't got to that sort of peak uh, outperformance level. So Nick's point was kind of like, yeah, you know, you got meme stocks going up. You, you got this six week rally. We're all feeling better about ourselves. But, you know, maybe it's not as speculatively driven as you think. So that would probably lead one to say, well, what did it? Right. I think the very simple thing is uh, everybody was really freaked out about earnings freaked out about profit margins and what would happen because of inflation and things turned out way better than people expected so that uh you know second quarter earnings actually turned out to be this catalyst to to give people this sense of oh wow it's not as bad as i thought and it seems like you know from you read the anecdotal information out there it seems like a lot of people i mean just they they got out of their overweights and stocks i mean if if they could go to no stocks they went to no stocks they went to right. no risky assets whatsoever they thought the market well, the world was going to end and right. uh, it didn't and so they had to start buying but yeah we got uh, so on that on that bear bull index from the aaii like mm -hmm. uh again i don't you know it got to under 20 percent of the people responding were bulls that's pretty low so yeah everybody in june was like you know what this market is just going to be terrible the fed's going to raise rates we're going to go into recession and then they really had to temper how negative they were when earnings growth was still relatively robust now Al, let me ask you a question here <clears throat> i know that colas uses uh, tesla's kind of speculative stock yeah but i know that you've also noted over time that 
Tesla's PE has been coming down fairly sharply over time. It's still expensive. Yeah. Is there a point where it's not the kind of bellwether for speculative stocks that Coles might have made it out to be? Well, that's that's a good point, right? Um, and because I was actually looking at, uh, so when Nick does this, right, it's, it's a signal for all of us to sort of fiddle around and see if we could find something. You know, we look at the relative PE of Tesla versus Apple, but Tesla's price to earnings ratio has been coming way in as it's been growing. And, you know, of course, people don't expect it to grow forever. So there's no real way to say like, oh, Tesla's at two times Apple. This is a disaster for the market or for Tesla stock. That the ratio has been coming in. And Tesla definitely is maturing. It still trades at uh, about 51 times 23. So it's still way up there. Um, I would say it is still a good speculative gauge in this respect. It's that retail ownership, right? Um, We've written this a few times and and I might get it wrong, but it'll it'll be right to a general degree. Like let's say 40% of the people that hold uh, Tesla stock or retail investors, that's more like 15 for Google or a Google parent alphabet. So the, uh, or a Microsoft, it's like less than 10%. It's those, those large stocks are very heavily owned by institutions who tend to probably be less trading oriented than retail investors. So until that ratio changes, it's probably a pretty good indicator, but to your, to your other point, you know, there, there, you know, Tesla is still, you know, making more cars. So, you know, their earnings will, you know, jolt things around. So you, you always have to take that one indicator with a grain of salt. All right. So speaking of earnings, earnings season is for the most part over. We're going to yep. talk about a few that are still coming. Um, but, uh, you know, as you point out, sentiment was terrible and everyone expected the world to end and it didn't. So tell me, you know, what did the earnings numbers look like as we come into this you know, last weekish of, of, of earnings? And, you know, how good were the numbers overall? Yeah, they're pretty good. And it's, it's funny. I think these aggregations are helpful to understand. Although, you know, when somebody asked me, well, what do I do with this information? I, I don't really know what to tell them. But if you take a look, I, we're almost done. Like there's 470 of 500 companies have already reported in the S&P. Uh, 70 in, in the second quarter, 76% uh, beat earnings estimates. Uh, people always beat earnings estimates, 50% beating earnings estimates would be a disaster because people like to set the bar low and jump over it. And that's what investors expect. The point is 76% beating earnings was exactly the same rate as the first quarter. Earnings growth for, for the S&P overall, average earnings growth, about 8%. That was also about uh, exactly what the earnings growth was in Q1. Uh, so earnings growth was just as good. People were beating estimates at the same frequency. Uh, Sales growth was a little bit um, better in the second quarter. We'll call that, you know, slight impact of inflation. So if I say to you, uh, sales growth was double digits, a little better uh, than it was in Q1. Uh, They were, the companies were surprising just like they always were. And earnings estimates and earnings were growing just like they were in the first quarter. You know, you would you would have taken to your point. You would have taken that six weeks ago when people thought the world was ending. You know, they would have expected, um, and we'll we'll probably talk about this too, right? But people were saying, "Oh, 2023 earnings." You know, oh, the market's at 15 and a half times 2023 at its nadir. Um, but you know, 2023 is way too high, so that PE ratio is wrong because we all got to cut our estimates. Lo and behold, six weeks later, after we hear all these updates. It doesn't look like estimates are coming in all that much and the market has recovered. 
And you know, my beloved industrials, I'd just say like they 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 crushed earnings this this uh, this season. Eighty four percent of companies beat estimates, and earnings growth is up thirty three percent year over year. A lot of that's energy related things like that. But you know, people just did not expect earnings growth to be that fast at cyclical companies because they were worried about you know inflation and profit margins and all that sort of stuff. So it was way better than expected. What I also find amusing, if I'm remembering correctly, is that uh, first quarter earnings season was pretty bad. Um, the, at least the response to the numbers, um, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's all set up, right? You're right. It's, it's all, all set, set up, up, right? We were we were thinking things are great, and then people said, "Ah, oh, single digit earnings growth. That's terrible. That's terrible." Price. And the market sells off, and then you know you're yeah. you're down twenty percent, and you know these same numbers come out, and it's like, okay, yeah, we'll buy those up. Um, yeah, exactly. Single earnings earnings growth. That's fantastic. All right the there. difference is three weeks or three months and twenty percent. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, so, so that's great. So let's talk about some of the uh, some of the earnings that are going to come out this week. Um, I want to start with some of our lockdown favorites, just because. Oh yeah. These were. I mean, they're one of the first. We're going to get uh, Zoom uh, video communications is going to come out after the close. We get Peloton later in the week. We get Workday. These were all stocks that soared during the lockdown. You know, everyone was buying Pelotons. Everybody was using Zoom. Workday was going to take over the uh, the HR department of every company. Uh, and they've all had really tough years, but I want to add a but here. They aren't all the same, are they? Um, I, I'm looking at these companies and they, they've all had big drops, but they are, there's some big differences. Can you explain? Yeah. Uh, Zoom's down 46 year to date. Workday's down 38 year to date. Peloton's down like 67 year to date. Uh, this is like this morning, probably before today's moves. Um and so, so you know, oh, very difficult. It's 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 a classic. You know, this basket of stay-at-home stocks is going down. But and I was surprised, right? So you know, Zoom is now trading at about 20, 25 times estimated twenty twenty three earnings. You mean it's, it, right? it makes money? Like it makes money. It has a business, and now it's at like something that you could You know, you could compare it to Nasdaq, and you could compare. Well, is Zoom growing faster than the Nasdaq? What what price do I want to pay for Zoom? So like, you know, we got to put Zoom in like real business category. Workday's in the same boat. Now it's more expensive, but it makes money. The thing the thing that's interesting about these two is, um, you know, earnings are still going down year over year. So I'm not exactly sure what to make of that, right? So these are theoretically gross stocks that had huge boosts because of the pandemic. Earnings are actually shrinking. And then we got to get to some sort of new base and then see where they grow from here. So it's still an interesting time, but I think we're going to have to create a new bucket of like, you know, beaten up stay at home stocks that actually have real businesses. You know, you throw Workday and Zoom in there, not trying to be pejorative to Peloton, but like they're, they're trading at like 150 times 2023. It's just it's uh, it's they're losing money uh, in this quarter, expected to lose money in this quarter. Um, it's, it, it's, it's just not the same, right? The level of volatility is also not the same, right? You know, options markets imply this thing's going to move 20% up and down post earnings. You know, I don't want to, I mean, again, this is not intended to be pejorative, but Peloton, we got to put it in the bucket of like potential meme stocks, you know, from the stay at home bucket. Uh, but yeah, those other two, I think are much more interesting. You know, I'm not zoom expert, you know, read Eric and Tay's coverage, but at 25 times, I was almost shocked to realize, like, wow, this thing has been destroyed, but their business is in decent shape. Yeah, I mean, I think the big question with Zoom, right, is going to be where does, you know, where do the earnings bottom and how much growth yeah. do they have off of that? Um, especially because they're getting com 
competition. I know we use Slack at the office and we could just hit a button and use Slack to talk to each other. Or yes. you, know, you can use Teams or you can use Google. So they have a lot more competition. So that'll be an interesting one. And in terms yeah. of Peloton, I do want to say, <clears throat> not pejorative at all, because I, I have one sitting across the room from me and I, and I try to use it. Um, not, not as often as I should, but, but I do use it. Um, and it's a great bike. It is a, it's a great bike. Um, and for someone who hates going to the gym like me, it's really a great way to work out. Yeah. Um, it's just a question of what they're going to earn. Yeah. How, how are they going to make money? I mean, they, they bet so big on this uh, growth continuing out of the pandemic. And it was a bet that obviously didn't pay off. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's move on. Um, we're also going to get NVIDIA. I like to think of NVIDIA as really almost up there, if not with Apple and Microsoft and Alphabet, then the next tier down of the big tech stocks like um, like Meta. And it actually yeah. might be even bigger than Meta at this point. Um, strangely, it waits until the end of earnings season to release uh, its uh, results. What are investors expecting and what do you expect? Uh, same sort of trend. Right. So earnings are falling year over year. The stock is badly beaten up. Um, PE has also collapsed, not collapsed, but the PE is also down significantly, down to about 32 times. You know, year to date, it's down almost 40 percent. Um, uh, let's just say it's basically been cut in half from from recent peaks. You know, it, it was like an 800 uh, billion dollar market cap. Now it's 400 billion. You know, people were putting this one in as their next trillion dollar company. Um, I think the problem is, you know, the impact of, of crypto mining on uh, demand for their high performing computer chips uh, uh, might have been and probably. And again, so I'll say this is sort of a, a curious, uh, uh, interested outside observer from the tech industry that seems to be almost you know, the Trojan horse that, you know, was inside the company that I'm not sure people fully understood. So, you know, now that crypto prices are way down, which just forget whether it's crazy or not, it changes the economics of mining, changes uh, the demand for those chips well, and those products. And not think, only is crypto, crypto prices are down, but energy prices are up and that gets painful. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. You got Yeah. That's the great irony of it all. You have to, you pay electricity to, uh, to mine these things. Um, uh, so it, 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 it faces a lot of headwinds, right? So I don't really know what's going to happen. I know our colleague Tay Kim uh, is very cautious on NVIDIA and believes there's there's uh, more downside. Um, and I think his opinion is is, is grounded in, in fairly sound fundamentals, right? Like earnings estimates and revenue estimates haven't bottomed out yet. So, you know, the, the, you know, that PE, you can't really trust it. They, they have to find a bottom. And, and then when they do, you can evaluate the stock from there. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens because obviously things, you know, anything can happen on one earnings. But I, I think that one's a little challenged. Yeah. I mean, Tay has been right on uh, NVIDIA um, for a while now. I think he uh, had a story uh, in Barron's towards the beginning of the year, uh, very bearish on it and, uh, and remains so. Um, so we'll get them. Retail. So we're also going to get a bunch of retailers this week, um, including department stores. Um, and there's two, Macy's and Nordstrom. And they're really, it's a, it's a tale of two department stores because one has done well, but one is really kind of suffering. Um, can you yep. explain? Yeah, uh, Macy's down year to date, 
quite significantly uh, by about 25%. Uh, earnings year over year falling. Um, the funny thing, and then Nordstrom's uh, is up year to date and their earnings are growing. Uh, it's, you know, so it's difficult to say, you know, if it's, you know, different points in the cycle or geography for these people, but definitely Macy's is struggling and Nordstrom's is doing well. Um, so, you know, as it relates to earnings reactions, right, you know, better than feared will help Macy's. And then given where J, J W Nordstrom is, you know, we'll have to sort of do the traditional beat and raise, you know, what you get for all that better up, you know, we, we detail some of the outperformance of Nordstrom that gets you a whopping PE and department store retail of seven times earnings and Macy's is trading four <clears throat> times. Uh, estimated 2023 so that that's the state of department stores but i think the setup indicates that you should think about you know better than feared for macy's and you actually have to have decent results from nordstrom yeah, i mean i think people uh, want 80 cents from nordstrom you can you can write that on your notepads and remember if they do better <laughs> than 80 cents i mean i think in some ways nordstrom i mean it's you know for a while there look it, it, you know it has a nordstrom rack which is kind of their version of uh, TJ, TJ Maxx or Ross stores uh, mm -hmm. you know, that's uh, selling stuff that other people don't want. And usually that stuff has great margins, um, but it was really tough during the pandemic because there were shortages of all, all these clothes. Uh, but now that uh, we're getting back into a glut and people don't seem to be wanting to buy clothes anymore, that could help Nordstrom and Nordstrom. We'll have to see what they say when they release on Tuesday. You know, that's a, that's a great point. Also impacts TJ Burlington and, um, Oh, I forgot the third one. Ross stores is Ross stores. Yeah. Uh, because that was crazy, right? When there was no inventory to be had, that was was death for those guys because they're yeah. they're they they rely on people overbuying. <laughs> there was nothing it's, to overbuy. It's the treasure hunt, you know. They people they go into the stores to get stuff that you know discount prices that are like fantastic close, and there wasn't anything to buy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. So we'll see if that uh, starts to turn around. I know uh, TJX, the parent company of TDA Max, um, had some mixed comments last week when it reported earnings. So we'll see how uh, Nordstrom does. We have a few more retailers. Um, we have uh, Dollar General, we have Dollar Tree. Yep. Um, they both have done pretty well. And I think for all the reasons you've been describing, right, that their, their profits are growing. Yep. Yeah, uh, exactly. So uh, again, let's just talk in terms of general setup. These are these are strong performers, both up year to date, both trading uh, uh, a dollar general at 20 times dollar tree at Oh, I wrote it down here 18 times. So we're talking about market multiples for these guys. So you know, you have to see beaten raises, you have to see growth, growth is expected. And I think, you know, I think that uh, you know, I think the story is fairly simple, right? Consumers struggling a little bit. However, these are the lower end retailers. So you get some of the higher end retail uh, shoppers going down into the dollar general. And then, you know, the stability of that uh, lower pricing is relatively defensive. So these are decent companies. I think dollar general, it's in, two things are interesting to me. You know, uh, if you look at Dollar Tree stock chart, and you look at the last time they reported earnings, the stock jumped like 20% on earnings. It was crazy. Well, why did that happen? Well, like a week before the stock was down 20% after Walmart said, this is back in May, Walmart says, you know what? We're not going to grow earnings this year. We're actually going to see a small decline in earnings per share. And these stocks and are not was, supposed to move that much. Yeah, this was sort of like this nuclear bomb that went off in, in retail, right? Like Walmart's not growing. They missed their estimates by that much. And there's all this retailer volatility. That's a few months ago, so things have settled down. 
earnings. The stocks are up here today. You're going to have to see reasonable earnings. Dollar General will be interesting because they do more food. Uh, they do do more groceries. So, you know, food inflation has been a real thing. Um, uh, you know, we've been running at like double digit rates for the past three months for U.S. food inflation. Uh, and hopefully, you know, again, hopefully we see that peaking. And I'm sure everybody on this call knows when they go to buy butter exactly what we're all talking about. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they say about food inflation, about what they're what people are doing with, uh, you know, with with their Cheerios purchases, if they're trading down or whatnot. And that could have some implications for the grocers and and some of the other discount retailers. That'll be an interesting one. All right. So I want to ask you about one more company. Yep. You know, everyone is it was so focused on Chinese tech companies for so long. Baidu and Alibaba and whatnot. We're getting JD.com tomorrow. <laughs> what are you expecting? Yeah, this is this is the one. Uh, uh, who cares? <laughs> that was my official answer to what do we care about JD? It's like you tell me when Nancy Pelosi, uh, Speaker Pelosi is going back to Taiwan. <laughs> you tell me if China is going to. Uh, continue to support Russia in the um, in the uh, uh, Russian-Ukraine war. Tell me what uh, uh, the Chinese government's going to do with internet companies over there or U.S. listed uh, stocks of Chinese uh, companies, tech companies, and then we can we can we can start caring about earnings. But uh, I think any one of those other three things is more important. Heck, stock could go up or down on earnings, but on like if you look at some of the valuations of these Chinese listed stocks, it's just it's been it's been very difficult. And as opposed to the tech sell off or the U.S. sell off, it really is partly due to geopolitics. You can all we can all look at the Golden Dragon ETF um, that has you know large uh, U.S. listed Chinese businesses in them. That is off about twenty two percent. Uh, year to date, it's uh, it's it's it uh, it's down since Nancy Pelosi uh, visited Taiwan. The rest of the market is up. You know, the spread is only a few percentage points, but it just goes to show you that everybody has to do this sort of geopolitics, you know, one one class really really rapidly if they want to if they want to start uh, looking for those uh, hidden hidden treasures, like at a TJX uh, store. Uh, if they want to go back into the U.S. listed Chinese stocks. Right. Well, let's. I want to end with a couple questions from readers. The first is from, and I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, Mahavir. Um, yes. So, uh, why is the market um, so focused on Fed reports rather than on the reports and results from companies themselves? Um, there's two things. One is I'm, I'm not going to tell you that. Uh, people are ignoring the reports from companies. We've had this nice rally, right? And I think that was definitely partly related to better than feared second quarter numbers. So you, we got some uh, reaction to fundamental data points. But um, like I said earlier, I think people, I mean, the older I get, the less and less I can keep in my brain. But I think people can really only think about two or three things at once. And the dominant... Uh, the dominant issue right now is inflation and interest rates. And that is the purview of the Federal Reserve. They have the dual mandate, maintain price stability, maintain full employment. They got the lever, which is their balance sheet, which is the federal funds rate. Um, and I think if you asked people or, you know, did, you know, did some survey, you know, the number one and two issues facing the economy uh, would be, uh, you know, What's inflation going to do? What's interest rates going to do? The problem with interest rates 
and of course the fed matters a great deal let's just say they matter a little more now like the problem with interest rates is uh you know it, it's it's effectively designed to slow the economy so the read through to companies is well if we if we get pushed into a recession or they lose control of this whole thing what does that mean for earnings in 23 so that introduces some uncertainty and when interest rates are rising you know higher interest rates tends to depress uh the valuations of companies uh, for a whole variety of reasons, but you know we don't really know what to do with the dollar of earnings at any one of these companies until we know where interest rates are going to long you know ten year the U.S. ten year Treasury or something like that settles out right. So we need some certainty. The Fed is the one that is sort of controlling what happens on that front of rates and inflation for the next six months. So it's going to be it's going to continue probably to outweigh earnings. And you know if if Q3 earnings are terrible, but the Fed says, ha, oh, we have inflation under control. This was the worst it's going to be where we fixed it. You know, the market would rocket higher and then we would start worrying about earnings again. All right. We've got a, a few more questions that came in. I think we can go over a little bit here. Yep. Um, one question, and I'm not sure you have an answer. I'm not sure I have an answer, but I'll ask it anyway. What is the outlook for MLPs and pipelines? Uh, I don't have an answer. However, I would say two or three things. MLPs and pipelines are supposed to be independent of energy prices. So theoretically, it's more about volume than price. Uh, they're supposed to be yield oriented investments. So to some extent, uh, rates matter. Uh, but they're also probably to be a little defensive, right? So I'll, that is all not very helpful. Ben, I, what do you think? I mean, I, I think because we learned, uh, you know, they were really popular um, before the whole oil meltdown um and then i mean i think they are dependent on oil prices i think this is probably a good environment for them i also like dividends in this kind of environment where yeah you get sort of a payout that you can reinvest um so i'm saying this from a very general perspective because i know i haven't dug it enough recently um but i i expect that, that they'd look pretty interesting right now yeah it's funny i i make one analogy to your point ben we've done some work on utilities Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, people worry about rising interest rates. Will that kill utility valuations? And I think what we found uh, talking to people and then doing some work was that it's not, you know, they actually still have fairly stable growth based on growth of the economy, growth on electricity demand, growth in renewables. They're paying you a dividend. So those companies that sort of can grow, you know, earnings at sort of a high single digit rate, which is very nice for utility, and they're paying two or three percent. Those have really held in well, and those have been pretty popular with investors. So if you find those sort of MLPs that are like stable, you know, growing earnings at a modest rate and paying out cash, I actually think those will be pretty popular. Yeah, in, in an unstable earnings environment, in an unstable market environment, anything that provides uh, stability will probably do pretty well. Um, and we have a question from Steve. Um, he heard an analyst say, sell Apple um, now since it's gone up so much and the chart pattern looks unsustainable. Um, he asked for our thoughts. And I think this was one that really taps into that whole concept you're talking about, yeah. about traders versus investors. Yep. Um, would you mind giving your thoughts on that or do you want me to riff on it? Well, I want, I'll go first and then I'll pass yeah. it to you. Like, so listen, I mean, I am no, there's, you can, you can get a CMT. You can be a charted market technician. I am not that. And Ben is better at this than me. But, you know, it's very it's, it's way above its 200 day moving average. That's probably slightly better. You know, the 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 stock is losing its momentum. The the uh, the uh, the longer term moving average is converging with the short term moving average. So, like, you know, 
would this thing hit 160? Would it shock me? No. So if it drops eight bucks, is that, you know, reasonable? Then you look for a bounce. Sure. So, but that is a trader view versus somebody who's thinking about like long-term iPhone demand. Ben, take it away. Yeah. I mean, I, I can, I've written stories where I've been correct. I'm going to put that in quotes um, in the short term saying, you know, Apple's gone too expensive. It's, it's time to sell. And that was with a, let's say six to 12 month view. And the stock does pull back, say, 20 to 30%. And if you're a trader, that was probably a, a good time to get out. But I've also seen what Apple has done during those, you know, following those sell-offs. And they almost always become a buying opportunity. So I think what yeah. everybody has to do is keep in mind their own investing period. And, um, and, and know, like, who are these people writing for? Uh, an analyst is usually writing with a 12-month. Uh, looking out 12 months. I think that's right out, right? Um, I think, yes, I think that's generally right. I think people's ratings and price targets are 12 months. I mean, everybody's a little different, but right. I think that's basically the way you should think of a rating. I think yeah. this stock is great over the next year. Right. And for, you know, for a long-term investor, we're often better suited not trying to trade, but just choosing what we think are the best companies and sticking with them if we think that nothing has changed in our ultimate thesis about the company. So I'm not gonna make a call on Apple, but I would argue that you need to take a really close look at how long you plan to hold the company. And you know, are you okay with, uh, you know, if the stock does pull back a bunch, are you okay with that? Can you hold through it um, and, and still hold Apple for the long term? Yeah. Um, and so I think, Al, we're, we're out of time. We're, we're way over. Um, I want to thank you for being here. And I want to thank our audience for tuning in. Please join us again tomorrow. Barron's Associate Editor for Technology, Eric Savitz, will speak with Brooke Dane, Tech Fund Manager at Goldman Sachs, about the outlook for tech stocks. Um, and that should be a good place for, um, we didn't get to a question about the cloud businesses, Snowflake, but that'd be a good place to ask it. I want to thank everyone again for listening. Be safe and have a nice day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.